Hello and welcome to Cloud Insiders, the podcast that brings cloud down to earth. Hello and welcome to Cloud Insiders. This episode we're talking about large-scale transformations and we're joined by two of Extrovert's own, Craig Whelan and Andy Hine. Thanks, Sam. Andy, can we start with a quick introduction from yourself, who you are, what you do? Yeah, so um, I am a technical pre-sales consultant with Extrovert. I've been with Extrovert for... So over two years. Um, before that, I've probably got about 15 years worth of experience in IT, mainly in infrastructure and workspace-focused roles. And obviously been through quite a few transformations during that time. So hopefully can add some uh, value to this discussion. Excellent. And Craig, who are, who are you? Hi, so I'm Operations Manager at Extrovert, and I've been with the business now for around seven years. Prior to that, have a, a kind of history of technical roles from small to large-scale transformational and operations and systems management type um, situations and sysadmin. So kind of have been in, in the depths of it all, and then through career progression, worked into project management roles, and now to where I sit with an Extrovert overseeing a number of projects in delivery of this type of activity. Excellent. So what is meant by the term large-scale transformation? Craig? That's a good question, Sam. So um, in my view, large is only really relative to the organisation um, and is about how much of the, the kind of activity touches various parts of, of a business. Um, so me, transformational activity um, typically affects or involves all of the business uh, with, with with respect to large um, and in in specific respect to IT projects is around providing tools um, and systems or solutions that benefit the the entire business and its key objectives as a whole. And can you give us some examples of a large scale transformation tool? I can. So. EUC or end user computing, um, as an example, provides multiple ways of access for users to their data and applications. And it's quite a, a departure from traditional mechanisms for provisioning of desktops and access to, to kind of the day-to-day running from a, from a user perspective. If we refer back to kind of where mainframe was back in the 70s and 80s, you know, the user was fixed in one location regardless of, you know, where that data was held or the systems that ran, they had a desktop and that was kind of it. Now, obviously, with, with business being so agile, it's about having any device, any application, anywhere. And that's to kind of coin one of the, the marketing phrases out there in the industry. This provides, you know, a huge amount of flexibility and working practices for businesses. So, you know, that's large scale. It does touch all aspects of business. That's great. And Andy, what examples have you seen of a large scale transformation? So yeah, just following up on Craig's point um, around end-user compute, that's um, where a lot of my transformational activity has, has kind of been focused. It is quite a change. It's a change which, as Craig mentioned, touches all parts of the business. So the users are working in a in a new and agile and dynamic way. The infrastructure needs to be centralised in order to support that in terms of services and data. And the, the business needs to change their attitude towards their user workspace really to and, and buy into it for it to be a success. That's good. So what, what kind of things are driving organisations to undertake these kind of transformations and what, what do they kind of hope to achieve from these? Well, ultimately the um, IT services and infrastructure is supporting the business and, and enabling the business. So it's really um, responding to, to what the business is doing. So it could be a change in their, their market conditions, it could be a change in their strategy, um, it could be mergers and acquisitions, 
or you know a new way of working really so it's it, it's really driven by what the business is doing and as with a lot of a lot of IT projects and a lot of uh, business projects underpinned by cost and, and, and saving money and increasing productivity where possible. Of course, yeah. So Craig, have you seen any, any other sort of reasons for an organisation to undertake these transformations at all? I have, yeah. And just taking some of the, the key ones there quite um, crucially and, and, and in conjunction with that, it's about providing a better customer experience more often than not or providing their product to a customer in a more efficient manner. And in doing so, realising internal efficiencies to, to make the margin increase for the product that's being sold ultimately. And, you know, the, the, the phrase that's overused within many industries is doing more with less. The reality of that isn't necessarily true, but acknowledging you're getting more with maybe the same and providing greater flexibility is probably a better representation of what you achieve with a, a transformational project. So coming from your operations background, Craig, what are the things that are involved in undertaking a project of the large scale? So the, 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 the one objective, first and foremost, is being clear about what you're trying to achieve with that program activity. Those key steps are about providing a framework effectively to work within that provides some flexibility, not necessarily trying to solution everything up front, but let's be clear about the, what the business is trying to achieve, which we previously just touched on there. Following on from that expectation setting, that manifest effectively allows for everybody to understand what is going to be achieved from the project. And the communication of that is critical that everybody knows and everybody's on board with the, the plan of action. Deviation from the plan is fine. That's that's general project and program management and transformational activities is quite flexible or quite fraught with a certain amount of change. But as long as you've got a key view of those objectives, then you know you can maintain the focus long term in that respect. And and long term is one of those things that's subjective effectively to the activity itself. And typically you will see these projects be six, twelve, eighteen months, if not longer, maybe five years for these kind of transformations to take place okay so normally sort of over long periods of time with a lot of planning involved andy have you seen anything have you seen anything different from a pre-sales point of view when it comes to sort of starting one of these projects no i think the um what's becoming more and more clear is that the 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 work up front before a transformation in terms of the requirements gathering and the discovery and any expectation setting of what is actually going to be achieved by the transformation is really really important before you uh before you set off on your transformational journey really cool thank you so what tools can we use then are there any is there anything to help manage and, and ensure successful transformations of this size and if so what tools are they i think if we can Andy, come to you first yeah th- there are a number of different tools depending on the type of transformation that you're that you're doing so transformation transformational activity that, that i've seen going back a, a few years was when the kind of virtualization came into play um, moving from a physical estate to a virtual estate, obviously there's tool sets that you need to deploy to help you do that and, and manage that process. Again, around the EUC space, that discovery and assessment piece, there's tools that help you do that. In terms of managing the transformation, I, I don't think there are tools that would compare to good old-fashioned kind of project management. Um, obviously, um, the, the Microsoft Office suite has got kind mm-hmm. of um, project, th- those kind of tool sets. So yeah, it's a good project management, good communication. Quite a bit of discovery beforehand as well, just to make it a bit smoother, I guess. Craig, what about 
um, from your point of view? What, what tools can people use to, to help? Yeah, I think, again, again Andy's, Andy's hit on two really key areas. One is the, the technical landscape and, and the discovery tools used, and, and they're varied. You know, you can, you can pick up from major players or, or kind of, you know, um, niche product sets for, for discovery. In, in terms of project management, which is, you know, my, my later years of, of my career have been focused, the traditional management tools in providing Gantt charts and, you know, task lists, those, those are key aspects. And, you know, one thing not to focus on too much is the detail early on, but certainly have a, a broad reach of kind of key milestones looking to be achieved. In terms of managing at a project or task level, for me personally, nothing beats post-it notes on a wall or, you know, the, the digital versions of, of kind of what is Kanban effectively and those kind of flexible management approaches that provide a visual tool for, for completing work and, and the kind of tasks ahead. And even if they're only kind of high level, they give very clear indication of this, there's a movement of, of activity. The granularity of Gantt charts is Andy said, in terms of what's provided within, say, Microsoft Project or alternative suits, tools such as that, is very helpful because it allows you to, to plan a certain number of events and sequence them effectively and provide a, a knock-on impact where there may be delays. That's really good for reporting upwards, not so much down to a task level, but certainly where key milestones may slip. That's, that's always been quite a um, key thing for me. The other part and the other the tool suites effectively would be analytics. Transformation of, of any kind of state requires um, an understanding of what you've got now in, in its current form. Analytics software allows you to take that, and we kind of briefly touched on the technical tooling, to understand what works, how it works, who it works for, and gives business analysts something to, to grasp hold of and, and unpick the, the web of connections that make up not only the, the technical story, but also the human story involved in transformational activity. That's, that's key for me and feeds into everything that you would do when, within a transformational program of work. Cool. So in a typical engagement that extrovert undertakes, would that data be expected to be sort of in place already? Or is that something that extrovert can help with, with gathering and, and working out how to approach a, a large scale transformation? No, that's that's absolutely something we'd help with some. A lot of our work, we, we necessarily wouldn't engage in the discussions further down the line. We'd always bring it back to this discovery piece, which Anders mentioned already, and undercovering or uncovering, should I say, that technical landscape is is what we're about. We've developed methodologies with, with either tool sets or indeed conversational sequencing and journeys to identify exactly how solutions work in their current state and map them to their digital form. Andy hit upon earlier kind of, you know, traditional data center type activity where you'd virtualize systems. Well, where people are coming from the old school of of physical hardware, you still need to have those kind of conversations as to how something was put together in its physical form and whether it maps to a virtual instance of that itself. And the, the technical tools allow you to discover quite quickly what might be in the data center that you can't physically see up front. So absolutely, it's what we're kind of here for. And it's the first steps we take in every project of this type of nature. Excellent. So, Andy, if we come back to you, so obviously you mentioned the discovery piece originally. What sort of tasks do the discovery and assessments cover? And what data can someone expect on the other side? You'd need to start with data gathering, so that could be inventories of key systems. You would map out their dependencies and their interconnections and, and kind of paint a picture really for the organisation of, of what they've got. Visibility is always the first thing that, that, you, that people are usually missing um, or usually benefit from. 
So it, it would be really compiling all that information and any outputs from workshop-led activities and, um, with kind of key st- stakeholders, compile that information into a, a usable, readable report, present that back to the business, as well as any complementing toolset outputs. So again, going back to something like an EUC project, you, you can present back application lists that have been discovered, um, versionings um, of applications, metrics around how much resource your your business needs and things like that. So again, slightly tailored depending on what the project is, but um, you always start with the information gathering and play that back. Excellent. So Craig, if we start with you on this next one, what common mistakes have you seen from organisations when undertaking projects of this scale? So one of the key things sort of things common with, with any project, to be fair, not necessarily just large-scale transformation-type effort, is, is around communication. The realistic nature of communication means that um, generally you've got an audience that's quite wide in terms of requirements, and you may end up sending one message in multiple different formats or to multiple audiences in different formats. And one of the key mistakes is to assume that your your message is being read and understood. And, you know, for, for me, communication is about engagement and knowing that the, the message read is the one that you've conveyed. So that's that's a common element that I'd, I'd refer back to as, as being a, a mistake, if you will, in inverted commas. And it's just taking that approach and that style needs to be tailored based on your audience and understand that audience. Typically, there's an underestimation as to, to how much time might be required in a program of activity in, in transformational change. These things are covered through the analytics, through the, the kind of interviewing of, of those stakeholders, uncover a, a, a number of truths that take time to resolve if they're going to be changed. They may not work the way that people expected to through organic growth and change over time. That elongates the project more often than not. It's difficult to pin down a kind of ballpark how much longer a project typically takes, but just to be aware that the likelihood is it will be longer than you ever expected it to be. <laughs> the other common things would be knowing or having the right mix of subject matter experts, both in-house and external to, to your organisation. Getting hold of those people and keeping hold of those people is key to a, a smoother, successful project, shall we say. Those internal to you, they've been embedded into these applications, into these solutions and systems and the way that your business works. They know it like nobody else. So ensuring they're with you and working in the same direction as to the key objectives that we identified at the beginning of the conversation is going to be pivotal to the success of moving that project in a forward momentum. Additionally, external suppliers and consultants are very key in terms of their experience of this type of activity. Your organization does whatever it is you do well. The external organizations that sort of extrovert, we do this well because we have a number of years of experience or a number of projects of experience uh, in this particular space. That's where external suppliers are also pivotal to the success of these projects. And hence why we're almost having this conversation as we can advise that, you know, we've got this experience. This is a well-trodden path for us and we know you know, how to duck and dive some of these issues that may come up or at least be aware that they are coming and how we may best tackle them. That's perfect. Thank you, Craig. Um, Andy, from a pre-sales point of view, what sort of mistakes do organisations make? I would say transformation for the sake of transformation, if that makes sense. So again, VDR was a classic one when it came on the scene. A lot of IT directors um, had a VDI want without really understanding what that really what that really meant. Uh, and a lot of the time it, it didn't actually give them what they 
thought they were going to get. The equivalent in this day and age is probably cloud and um, software as a service and or infrastructure as a service and things like that. There the are a lot of buzzwords within the uh, the industry and uh, turn a lot of heads and people can can think they want to do something when actually that they, they might not need to or the, the, the use case might be slightly different and, and not work for their organisation. Yeah, certainly. <laughs> uh, the other thing as well is, is being prepared for post-transformational activity. Uh, one of the things that's quite easy to do is get swept up in the, in the change itself. Transformational activity, certainly from where I stand, is quite an exciting thing to be involved in. And for an organisation, it's all too easy to get lost in that um, melee of activity and forget that actually once the project ends, and inevitably it will do, is that you have to look after these solutions that you've put in place. So keeping an eye on the fact that you need to make sure the right BAU structure is is operationally ready uh, to take on these new solutions is one thing that um, does crop up from time to time. And is certainly something I'd, I'd like to make those looking at transformational activity aware of ahead of, of getting involved in this kind of work. Cool. So this, this question kind of ties into the previous, but are there any downsides to a large-scale transformation? I think, Andy, if we start with you and maybe focus on the sort of the whole transforming for the sake of transforming the whole VDI mm. example, um, yeah, what are some of the downsides, if any? The downside with any transformation is it's, it's a disruption to normal service, so it'll be a business-disrupting business activity. The downsides to things like VDI, for example, could be that users, um, end users don't really like change. And again, that's a disruption for them. Um, and they, it may be that with a, a centralized environment, there's a lot more control and um, users no longer feel that they can do as much with their devices anymore. It's, uh, it's really important to get the first impression right in, a, in an EUC transformation because it's, it's really, really hard to reverse that if the, if the users see that they're, um, it's taken longer for them to log on, for example. Um, even if you correct that in the future, the, the first impression is going to be that, mm-hmm. that, that the new system is not as good as the old system. So I've seen that quite, quite a lot. And so it comes back to the whole discovery and assessment phases that we spoke about earlier, isn't it? Getting the right data, right information, and then planning properly for... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, classic example with, with EUC is things like data manipulation. So I've seen where um, an organisation has centralised um, everything in, in, in readiness for EUC, um, and there's a team of people that use a file server which is at the other end of the country that, that no one had found out during that discovery process, and... You know, pulling down large—it was a finance team—pulling down large Excel files over the over the wide area network is obviously killing their session and <laughs> producing a really bad user experience. So um, that's a classic example of where the discovery process needed to be uh, needed to be tighter. So, um, so yes, it's totally linked to that. Excellent, Craig. What um, what downsides have you seen, if any? Oh, if if any, there, there are always <laughs> some, unfortunately, Sam. So I think um, one of the things that um, Andy touched on there, and it's I suppose EUC kind of you know the way that this kind of activity works is that generally you're going to be interacting with people, and the human element of of transformational change cannot be underestimated, and that it's disruptive, and people don't like change in general. They're quite happy with the way they were working. It worked before. Why am I changing it? And they may not know and be on board with what you're trying to do. And Andy said, um, you know, refer back to those earlier stages and those kind of drivers as to what you're trying to achieve. As long as they're communicated correctly, you kind of try and overcome most of that challenge. Um, but that's that's quite a difficult one. 
and the other the other thing for me is again this human element is understanding the uh, the fact that you may have to lose or let go of people that you value technically and and personally they may not share your vision or their own role may change into something they don't aspire to you know you are changing your business or the better for you you know whether you're a, you know a managing director or whether you're just a head of function you know, that, that change is about making that business perform better. The individual may not subscribe to that specifically or it may just not fit their their own agenda effectively. So, you know, the downside is that you will have to say goodbye to people that you know, love and trust in your business. Now, that might be, you know, to other business departments, depending on the scale of your work, or it might be that they leave the organization entirely. So something to be aware of certainly and you know try and mitigate as best you can and i think that's done with good communication and that's in a two-way fashion perfect so what do you think the future holds then in terms of large-scale projects is it going to remain large-scale or it will be sort of small and many there'll always be large-scale and i think if we refer back to my personal definition of large-scale where it affects all parts of the business i think you know that will always be the case however i think what we might see in business is the kind of agility that a lot of businesses now start up with means that the the kind of momentum of large-scale transformation is a lot quicker. People will be more in tune with the idea that change is a normal part of going through the the growth or contraction of of business life life cycle. However, there isn't anything to say that um, even these these kind of startups and these very agile businesses won't have their own baggage along the way. You know, naturally there will be acquisition of other businesses or teams and that in itself will create large-scale transformational activity that needs to realize efficiencies you know two departments may not be required so therefore let's move into one and and, you know what does that look like in terms of transformation so it will always be there and i think it will just change in, in in the way that it looks at the moment i think it might actually be more efficient and it might be seen as more routine rather than the kind of shock if you will of of a large um, scale transformation we've seen in the last sort of decade or so. Andy from a pre-sales point of view do you agree or do you see that changing to some extent? I think a a little bit of both I think as as organizations have become more and more reliant on their IT systems to to not only support the business but actually enable new business ways of working and new, new avenues of commerce and that kind of thing um, they've become a lot more aware of the systems and a lot more kind of um, risk averse. Uh, and as such, kind of um, cloud's a good example. The businesses that are looking at it by siloing their bits of IT um, to find the, the least disruptive use cases first as a kind of foot in the door. So things like test and dev is a good one. DR, as we've seen as well, um, with a number of opportunities to gain that confidence and then kind of land and expand that transformation. So. Um, so I think I think a bit of both. There will always be large-scale transformations. So <laughs> businesses looking at kind of rationalising their processes. So something like a rollout of SAP or something like that would yeah. be uh, would be a good example. Because whilst it may be one application, it's going to touch all areas of your business from per, you know procurement to finance to, to mm-hmm. everything that involves large-scale transformation. And as we said right at the start, large scale is relative to the business. So it's. It, one business may see large scale as, as something different, but it's, it's relative to, to how much disruption and, and how much change it's going to bring to your business. Perfect. Thank you, guys. So that's, that's it, really, in terms of the questions. Um, before we close off, have you got any sort of additional comments or suggestions around large scale transformations? 
Yeah, one, th- one thing for me, actually, Sam, there's something that um, Andy touched on earlier, and it's the kind of collateral that comes out of the discovery phases, and it's understanding that that might actually have additional value. Even if an organization enters into transformational activity and goes through a discovery phase, all is not lost if they decide to kind of close the door on that work for now. There's a lot that's understood from that activity that the customer may not know at that point in time. You know, how these systems work, how they've evolved, may not reflect the current documentation or understanding that they've got. And that is value that is seen as value add. You know, its primary purpose is in respect of transformation is to aid that activity. But the upshot is that there is a much better understanding of, of what that looks like right now. And some of that post-transformation is still useful because you'll you know, naturally manipulate that knowledge and understanding into post-transformational BAU knowledge databases and knowledge bases and bits and pieces like that that feed into things like CMDB systems and, and the like. But if you were to call a day on the project at the first hurdle, then you know, what have you come away with actually a better understanding of what you look like at the moment, which is, is a good thing without any shadow of a doubt. Excellent. Andy, any, any additionals from you? No, I guess one thing to mention would be during a transformation, don't be kind of afraid to, to stop the transformation or change the journey of it. Things are moving really, really quickly and, and there's there's no point continuing down a route if it's no longer suitable and, and fits the business requirements. So yeah, don't be, don't be scared to, um, to alter the journey. Excellent, thank you. Thanks guys, uh, that's us done. Um, thank you for your time today and thank you for joining. Thanks, Thanks Sam. Sam. Thanks, Sam. Thank you for listening to this episode. Find out more and listen to additional episodes on Cloud Insiders FM. Follow us on Twitter at Cloud Insiders and subscribe on iTunes. See you soon.